this morning. That's the goal. Um, so those of you who are able, if you'd stand with me when you get to Ephesians 5, we're going to pick up in verse 25, although this morning we're really, as far as verses that we're covering, is going to be in verse 28 through the end of the chapter. But let's pick up verse 25 to kind of set the scene a little bit better. Paul says, and these are familiar words to most of us in here who have any time at all uh, walking with Christ or have read the Bible. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are, his, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Well, Father, as I mentioned before we read these verses, these are familiar words to many of us in here. But yet familiarity doesn't mean that we fully comprehend them, nor does it mean that we have apprehended them, Lord. We don't have our hands well wrapped around it. And uh, Lord, I know that uh, is me first and foremost. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit, Lord, this morning, that you would teach us, Lord, that you would help us to take the incomprehensible aspects of your love for the church and help us, Lord, to comprehend that, to get our hands around it, Lord, uh, that we would just know and understand your love for the church better, and that, Lord, that would flesh out in marriages, Lord, with us husbands, Lord, better loving our wives, but, Lord, that the world might know what a great and wonderful God we serve. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. You all can be seated. So last week, we looked at Paul's command to husbands to love your wives. And we asked the question, how are we to love our wives? What should that love look like between a husband and a wife? Well, Paul answers that question for us. He says this is what it should look like, that we should love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, that brings up another good question that you're already asking. Why did Christ give himself for the church? That, that, that has to be answered. If we're going to understand what it means for husbands to love our wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for we need to understand, why did he give himself for the church? Well, why he gave himself for the church was, is we were lost at the fall, Right? The consequences of sin, of what Adam and Eve done, it, it exiled them from the garden and it exiled them from that intimate relationship that they had with God while they were in the garden before sin entered the world. And because of what Adam and Eve did, it got passed on to us because we're related to them. And all in Adam, Scripture says, die, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's what's happened to us. So we're born into sin. 
We're born sinners before we ever sin the first time. We're born separated from God. And so God has to do something. He doesn't have to, but he chose to. But I think he has to because that's his nature. His nature is that of grace and mercy and compassion and love. And so he has done something for us, separated from him. And that is that he has done the work to bring us back to himself, to reconcile us to himself. And so he gave himself. That means that God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to live the life that you and I have failed to live, that we cannot live because we're sinners. He did that for us. He, he left his, his throne in heaven, and he took on human nature so that he could become the second Adam. The first Adam failed to live a life that was pleasing to God. He rebelled against, they rebelled against God, right? He said, don't eat of the tree. They said, we'll call the shots. They ate of the tree, exile from God. So the second Adam, Christ, comes to do what the first Adam failed to do, to live a life perfectly obedient to the Father. And Jesus said, I do all things that please my Father, right? He lived that life. And then, but it wasn't enough just to live that life for you and I. He also had to take the punishment that you and I deserve, right? Because the wages of sin is death. And there is no remission, there is no forgiveness, there is no cleansing without the shedding of blood. And so Christ goes to the cross, to, he lives the life that we failed to live, and then he goes to the cross to take the punishment that you and I deserve. So that we could be reconciled to himself. So that we could be rescued and brought back into right relationship with him. He so loves the church that he gives himself for her. That we can be in a relationship with him. That's incredible grace that he would do that for people like you and I. And if you have just an inkling of who you and I are, you understand what an incredible gift that is that he would do that for us. And he, so he did that so that he might enter into this covenant relationship with his church, cleansing us of the filth of our sins and all of our guilt so that we can be united into this eternal covenant with him. Paul said that nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So nothing once we are in relationship with him, nothing separates us from him. Those whom the Father gives me, Jesus said, I lose none, right? So we enter into this covenant. That's why he gave himself to bring us back, to rescue us from our sin, bring us back into fellowship with God, to be united into this eternal covenant. But Christ's plan, as we talked about last week, it doesn't end with salvation. It doesn't end with this covenant that he makes with us. He desires to sanctify his bride. You remember... One of the things about Christ is when he died on the cross and then was resurrected the third day to prove to us that he had accomplished what he had came to do and the Father accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. But then 40 days later, as we talked about a couple of Sundays ago, he ascended to the right hand of God. So he's left. You remember he told the disciples why he left? He said, I go to prepare a place for you, his bride. 
So ever since he left 2,000 years ago, he has been thinking of you, thinking of us, thinking of his bride. We are perpetually on his mind, preparing a place for his bride to be united with him. But in the meantime, he hasn't left us alone, has he? No. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, I'll send the helper to you, the, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is doing a work in us after we're in a covenant relationship with Jesus. And that work is, is that he is working in us both to will and to do for God's good pleasure. In other words, he's conforming us to the image of Christ. So he's taken the bride of Christ and he's making us more Christ-like, right? And he's doing all that with this ultimate goal that one day we're going to be united with him. Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself that where I am there. You remember and Thomas, Thomas was all tore up about it, right? And rightly so. He didn't get the big picture. He said, we don't know where you're going and we don't know the way. He said, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Trust me. Put your hope in me that, that I am your provision for salvation. And if you're saved, I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive my bride to myself. If you're mine, I'm coming for you in a good way. Right? And so Jesus' work is all about his bride. So that one day his ultimate goal is to receive his bride to himself, as Paul said in verse 27, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such things that she might be holy and without blemish. So his ministry to the church, to his bride, is to love her, to care for her, to invest in her with his ultimate goal of his bride being ushered into heaven, at last in his presence, united with the bridegroom, radiant and glorious because of his constant nurturing and cherishing and loving care for his bride. And so, so that's the picture that Paul gave us last week to help hus husbands understand how we are to love our wives. We are to be in the business of loving and caring and nurturing and cherishing and serving our wives with the ultimate goal of helping them to become conformed to the image of Christ. That they can be presented radiant and glorious before his throne and united to the bridegroom. And this was a radical concept to that as, as Paul is preaching to the believers in, in Ephesus and this first century Greco-Roman world where, where women at their best were viewed as throw pillows. Simply something to bring, make, make the room attractive. But at worst, and more likely, they were viewed as nothing more than servants to serve the husbands. They had an incredibly diminished view of what it meant to love your wives. And so Paul is elevating their thinking. He's elevating our thinking. And so Paul understands that it's incredibly difficult for us to fully comprehend the deep, deep love of Christ for his church. So in Paul's 
typical character. He gives us another illustration. He says, let me help you look at it from this point of view, from this vantage point, to help you understand how we're to love our wives. Paul knows this. Paul knows we can be a little thick-headed. And I'll tell you, even as we talk about this today, I don't have my hands fully wrapped around this. this I think this is going to take a lifetime of just the Spirit's work in, in our lives, especially as husbands, to really understand how we're to love our wives. And this picture that Paul's going to point us to is this profound mystery of the union of Christ with his bride. It, 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 and it's a picture of the union of a husband and wife together in marriage. And so what's the illustration that Paul gives us? Well, look at verse 28. He says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And we need to appreciate just how incredibly radical this statement is that Paul is making here. Paul is not saying... Paul is not saying, husbands, love your wife as if she were your own body. Paul is not saying, husbands, you, you know when you get hungry, what do you do? You feed yourself, right? You feed your body. And, and when you're cold, what do you do? You put more clothes on your body. He's not saying, just like you do that for yourself, do that for your wife. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is some, saying something way more radical than that. He's saying, husbands, loving your wife is loving your own body. Because she is your own body. She is you, and you are her. He'll go on to... Help us understand that by calling us one flesh. So he's not saying love her as if she is your own body. He's saying love her because she is your own body. She is you. You are her. That is, I can't, I can't even get my hands around it. That was my prayer this morning. Was, Lord, I know I don't love my wife that way. I, I want to figure out how to do that. Help me to understand that so that I can love her like that. And, and of course, this has practical implications on how, how a husband should treat his wife. It means, I think, in, in just a real simple way, it means that we shouldn't do anything to hurt her. Because when we do hurt her, we're hurting our own body. Because she is you. You know, guys, there are, there are times in marriage. Any of, you, any of you husbands ever ever get hurt by your wives? I'm not talking about physically, but you get emotionally hurt. Maybe your wife says something that wounds you, or maybe you perceive that she's said something or she's done something that has hurt you. Or, or maybe you're just overly sensitive or, or maybe you're like me and you are just easily irritated. And your wife can do something or say something unintentional. And you, just because you're easily irritated, get hurt. You get wounded by it, right? And, and the temptation we have when we feel that way, guys, is what? Is to hurt her. We want to hurt her back. 
And we use our words sometimes to wound her. We've been wounded. We're going to wound back. We're going to say something. We're going to do something that, that hurts her. Or, or maybe you give her the silent treatment or the, you know, we call it the cold shoulder, right? I'm just going to, I'm just going to put my little wall up, my little wall of isolation and make her, make her feel like, you know, that I'm not, I'm not paying any attention to her. Or maybe, or maybe your bent is that when you're hurt, you explode in anger at her. But here's the truth, regardless of how you react, is that we know exactly what we're doing. We're making her pay. We're, we're getting back at her for, for whatever hurt, whatever pain that we might be experiencing. And Paul says, when you hurt her, what? You're hurting yourself. You're hurting your own body. Why? Because she is you and you are her. And Paul is saying, listen, that, that's, not, that's, that's incredibly unnatural to do that. It's unnatural for us to intentionally, knowingly hurt ourselves. So why would we hurt our wives? That's what Paul's saying. She's your own body. So having said that, I, I think it's important to understand that Paul is not saying that in marriage, that as we become one flesh, that our distinct personalities are extinguished, that Shannon becomes Daryl. It, it, it doesn't work that way. And I, I, think, I think sometimes we do think, well, let me, let me just say this, and, and somehow... Paul, so Paul's not saying that our distinct personalities get extinguished and that we're somehow assimilated into one another so that we each lose our identity. And so for those of you who are Star Trek lovers, you, you remember that we are the Borg, right? You will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. No, that's not what Paul is saying. You're not going to become part of the collective when, when you get married. And, and I think that one of the ways that, that we have just kind of um, bought into that. And, and I don't know where the idea came from. I haven't researched this. I'm sure Mr. Google can tell us, but I don't know. I didn't spend any time on this. It is the idea that even in a marriage, and I thought about this this week as I was putting together my notes for, for, for Jordan and Tori and their, their wedding and doing the ceremony. And, and, and it's just kind of a routine thing. I don't, I've never really thought about it before, but we always present them. And let me present to you Mr. and Mrs. Daryl Sparks, right? And I thought... Is that really getting a good grasp on what Paul is teaching us here? Because I think when we, when we say it that way, what we're saying is that the wife has somehow become assimilated into the collective conscience of me. She's become me. But she's lost her identity. So I even asked Jordan and Tori, I said, hey, how would you like me to present you? Jimmy presents you as Mr. and Mrs., I don't even know how you say his last name. How is it? See, you say it different than everybody else did. You make up your own way too. I, I said Algier. Somebody said Algier. Yeah, something, Algier. Okay. So I said, do you want to be presented Mr. and Mrs. Jordan Algier? Do you want to be presented as Jordan and Tori Algier? Or do you want to be presented as Mr. and Mrs.? Jordan and Tori Algier. And I said, I'll just give you my thought. I like the last way better because I think it still represents 
the two becoming one, Mr. and Mrs., with the same last name, but you still have your individual names in there. And they agreed, and that's what we did, even though I butchered his name at the end. But, <laughs> but, but this, this kind of thing, it's prevalent among believers, and, and you know that somehow the wife becomes, she loses her distinct personality. She somehow becomes assimilated. I think about that, you know, in, in Shannon and I in our marriage several years ago, and, and I was going through some challenges theologically, and, and my, my thinking was shifting on a few things, and I felt like that it was my, that, you know, what it meant for me to be a loving husband, loving leader was she needed to have her views assimilate to my views. She needed to think like I think, do what I do. And I think that's just a good illustration of what, it, of what that, that wrong thinking looks like. That somehow she loses her identity, her personality, her value, her worth, gets assimilated into, into me. And Shannon's always good about gently setting me straight. She said, I mean, I was giving her book after book after. She said, you know what? I'm just not interested I'm a a terrible husband. I've got to fix her thinking. So we had that conversation two or three times, and finally I I realized that it's not my job to change her theology. It's not my job to change her. My job is to love her and respect her and value her. And when she wants to study that, she'll study it when she wants to. That's the Spirit's work, not Daryl's work. And, And that kind of Wrong thinking is prevalent, though, among believers. And, and what ends, it, it ends up being toxic. It's oppressive. It's, it's smothering. It, it devalues the, uh, our individual worth as God's image bearers. You know, that in the, it says in Genesis that he created them what? Male and female. Both have value. Both have, you know, equal worth. And I think it completely misunderstands the biblical teaching on what happens when a man and a woman get married. If you jump down to verse 31 of this chapter, Paul says, therefore a man shall leave his... Now, he's, he's taking us right back to creation, isn't he? He's taking us back to Genesis 2, which means that, hey, I'm just, this isn't just an off quote. I'm just grabbing out of, you know, out of, out of, out of thin air. But this, this is a creation verse. The man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. He shall hold fast. He shall cling to her. And the two shall become one flesh. And what's the point he's making? Is that when marriage occurs, a man leaves his father and mother, and he cleaves to his wife. And what happens? The two become one flesh. They they become one body, as Paul has just been teaching us, right? She is you, and you are her. So that when a husband is... Loving his wife, who is he loving? He's loving his own body, his own flesh. And by quoting from Genesis 2 here, he's saying that in some mysterious way, which I don't fully comprehend, there's a continuation of what began with Adam and Eve there in the garden. Do you remember where where they came from? Now, Adam was created from what? Dirt. Guys like dirt. Right? Not all guys do, but we were created from dirt. Adam was created, but, but the woman wasn't created from dirt. Where did Eve come from? She didn't come from dirt. 
she came out of man. She came out of his side. God caused a deep sleep to come over, over Adam, and he performed this incredible operation on him, taking a rib out you know, from his side and creating, forming, fashioning woman, Eve, his necessary ally, his helper. She was literally a part of him. You see how Paul goes back to that when he says that she's you love her as, as your own body? He's saying in some way there's this mysterious connection to what happened with Adam and Eve, that she was literally a part of him, and that somehow, mysteriously, that reality continues in a relationship between a husband and wife. There's this mysterious connection between the two out of the side. And so when a husband hurts his wife, Paul says, We hurt us, we hurt ourselves. And on the flip side of that, husbands, when we encourage her, we're encouraging us. When we build her up, we're building us up. When we're loving her, we're loving us. When we're serving her, we're serving us. When we're caring and nurturing and and, uh, nourishing and cherishing her, we're doing the same for us. When we value her, we value us. There's this mysterious connection, not an assimilation of the two. The two do become one, yet distinct, but yet this mysterious connection because of the creation account that he refers back to, the woman taken out of man's side. And so, you think about it. So when Adam loved on his wife, he was loving on himself, right? Because she was a part of him. And so too, that's the connection that Paul makes. And man, if the Holy Spirit would just help us, just, you know, just illuminate that into our minds and help us to get our hands around, how much better would we treat our wives? And we ask the Spirit that he would do that in us. Well, how is it that we're going to go about loving our wife who is our own body. Another great, you guys ask the best questions. Paul says in verse 29, he says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And again, Paul is saying something more than, now husbands, you know the way that you treat yourself. You know the way that you treat your own body then you should treat your wife like that. He's saying something more than that because he's already told us that she is you and you are her. He's saying that since you are one flesh, it would be unnatural not to love your wife in this way. Because after all, he says, no one in their right mind ever hated his own flesh, right? It's not natural. It is unnatural to hate your own flesh. I like what the theologian Sinclair Ferguson said. He says, he says, if anyone hates his own flesh, we regard him as unbalanced, perhaps psychotic. For a husband not to love his wife who has become one flesh with him, is not only to be a poor husband, it is to be a dysfunctional Christian. He said it is just not compatible. 
He said it's unnatural to hate your own flesh. So therefore, it's unnatural to hate your wife, to abuse your wife verbally, mentally, physically, sexually, financially, whatever way it might be. You see, God has given us natural instincts to care for ourselves, right? I mean, we, we all get that. We, we, we come hardwired. We're pre-programmed right out of the box to care for ourselves. I mean, think about this. What happens when someone throws something at you, throws an object at you? It's instinctive to protect ourselves, right? We either try to catch it, we try to duck, we try to do something, right? I think, I think Jose's throwing something at me right now. I'm watching you. <laughs> what happens when we're hungry? It's instinctive, what, to, to try to feed ourselves, get some, get some nourishment. What happens when we're thirsty? We, we, we look for a way to, to, to hydrate ourselves. And what, what happens when we're sick? We, 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 we try to get the rest that we need to take care of our bodies. Uh, we go to the doctor if we need that. We, we get medicine. We do something to try to take care. It's in, those things are instinctive. And, and the point is that we have an instinct for self-protection, self-provision, self, uh, self-care, self-preservation. And here's what Paul is saying, I think. He's saying, husbands, you instinctively do that for yourselves. We instinctively do that for ourselves. He says, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to cultivate that instinct in relation to your wife. So that your instinct is for her protection, her provision, her care, her preservation. So so that it would become second nature that you're going to give yourself in love and care and nourishment and cherishing of your wife. That would just become, we wouldn't have to think about it, right? It would just be natural, instinctive. The way that you care for yourself, you're going to care for her. Because why? She is you, you're her. Now, let me pause briefly to remind us again that only the gospel can work that into a husband's life. Only a man who has been saved, only a man who has been in a relationship with Christ only a man who has been graciously, as John, as, G, as, as John would say in his gospel, that we've been born from above, right? We've been born again. We've had the heart of stone taken out, and it's been replaced with a new heart. And it's, been, and it's a life that has now the Spirit of God indwelling them so that we can keep his laws and his judgments and his statutes. We can obey his word. But the natural man is not like that. The, the unregenerate man is built to love self, to serve self, to live life on our own terms. It is not instinctive for the unregenerate, for, for the unbeliever to love his wife in the way that Christ is talking about. But, but Paul is saying the regenerate man can do that because he has the spirit of God indwelling him. And God is working in him both to will and to do for his good pleasure. But the man who's, and the man who's been regenerated, he's been transformed or he's being transformed into Christ's likeness. And he's learning and growing to think about others and to love and to serve others, right? So only the gospel can do this in a man. 
And I love the fact that Paul just keeps driving us back to Christ because that's what we need. He's not saying, hey guys, let's roll up our sleeves. Man, let's dig in deep. Let's figure this out. And he's saying, man, you need Christ. You need the help of the Spirit. You can't do this on your own. And once again here as we close, he brings us back to Christ, reminding us of Christ's love for his own body. He says, just as the Lord, this is the end of verse 29, just as the Lord does the church because we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. In other words, Paul says, Husband, husbands, love your wives as your own bodies because Christ, that's how he loves the church. He even calls us his body, right? Because underneath this one, this union of one flesh in a Christian marriage is this much deeper union. It's, it's a union that Paul says exists between Christ and his body, his people, his church. I, I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones, before he went into Uh, became a pastor, he was actually a a doctor. That's why they call him the good doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was actually an assistant to the royal physician for, I think it was King George V uh, before he went into ministry. So he understands a bit about medicine and about procedures. And he said this, he said, woman was made at the beginning as a result of an operation which God performed upon man. And they asked the question, how does the church come into being. He says, as a result of another operation, which God performed on the second man, speaking of Christ, his only begotten beloved son on Calvary's hill, a deep sleep fell upon Adam and a deep sleep fell upon the son of God. He gave up the ghost. He expired. And there in that operation on the cross, the church was taken out of him. The church was birthed, if you will. As a woman was taken out of Adam, so the church is taken out of Christ. And as the woman was taken out of the side of Adam, and it is from the Lord's bleeding, wounded side that the church comes. What a beautiful picture that is of the relationship of Christ to his church that we're born right out of his side, just like Adam and Eve, and Eve is born right out of his side. And so there's this mystical connection there that helps us to understand why Christ is so invested in his church, in his people, because they've been blood-bought. They've been birthed right out of his side. And Paul tells us that a Christian marriage is to be a picture of that mysterious reality. He says in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says, now this was a mystery in old, but it's not a mystery anymore. This is a revealed mystery. It's been unpacked. The the veil has been pulled away so that we can see that what I'm talking about here is Christ's relationship to the church, and that's the way it's supposed to look like in a, in a Christian marriage. That our, that our Christian marriages are to be a visible witness to the world of the way that Christ loves and serves and nourishes and cherishes his bride. You see, our marriages are something, they're meant to be something bigger than just us. They're meant to be this incredibly 
glorious, wonderful picture of a relationship between Christ and his church and his love for the bride and how he does everything with this goal in mind, not just a saver, not just a sanctifier, but to ultimately present her glorious before his throne, radiant and beautiful. And when we understand that, as husbands, as we understand that that's our role in marriage, that's what serving our wives, loving our wives, using our position of authority looks like, is given for her care. When we understand that, it so elevates marriage. But a failure to comprehend that, it so diminishes and devalues marriage when we think that the husband's role is to, is to lord over, control, or to rule his wife, or to get his wife to become like him. And Paul wraps it all up in a little summary statement. He says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You see, when a, when a wife knows that she's loved and she's cherished and she's valued, when a wife knows that she has worth, when a wife knows that the, her husband is doing everything he can to nourish her, that she is you and you are her. When a husband is using his position to serve her, Paul says the natural response is that she can easily place herself under his care, under his authority. And in doing so, what happens? The Christian marriage becomes this beautiful picture of Christ and his relationship to the church. God worked that in us as husbands and as a body. With that, Kyle, you want to come up and Michael and the team and... Uh,